Well, hey there, New Hope Community Church. So excited to be with you guys here today. My name is Thomas Costello. Um, I've met many of you before. I've been able to share a message a couple of times now at New Hope Community Church and super thankful to be invited back here when uh, Pastor John let me know he was going on a sabbatical. Um, I was delighted to be able to hop into the saddle for a couple of weeks here. Uh, excited to be sharing with you guys today. Um, we're going to be talking actually over the next two weeks, assuming everything goes well this week. Uh, next week and this week, we'll be talking about Luke chapter 15 the entire time. That's what we're going to be focused on uh, because these are a, a few parables uh, that we see in scripture that deal with the same theme. And as we get into that today, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever lost something that was really important to you? Like ever in your life, here's what I think of is, let me ask as a parent, have any of you parents ever lost one of your kids for any amount of time at all? It doesn't matter if it was for weeks, God willing, that wasn't the case for you. But uh, even if you've lost your child for a matter of a minute or a few minutes when they were young, it can be really terrifying, right? We've all been in that kind of a situation before. I remember once when my son... Oliver. He was very little at the time. We were pastoring a church in Austin, Texas, and Oliver was probably two or three years old. Uh, and it was right before Halloween season, and we were out at a pumpkin patch. And this must have been that Saturday, right before like Halloween, when the pumpkin patch is just going off. And I know in Hawaii, that's we don't really do the pumpkin patch. That was like a really big thing in Texas. Is people would get dressed up and they'd go out to the pumpkin patch and you'd buy your pumpkins, you'd go on hay rides, you'd drink apple cider, you'd do all those fall type things. And it was a big deal. And this was the day where everybody was out at the pumpkin patch this particular day. Uh, and I remember at, on that day, Oliver being about two years old, I was pushing along the stroller uh, and I Oliver was in there. And then Melissa, my wife, she comes up to me and says, hey, where's Oliver? And I looked down at the stroller and I looked back at her and I just kind of pointed at the stroller. And then I take a look at the stroller and there's two pumpkins in there. She had put pumpkins in there and I was pushing around this stroller thinking that those pumpkins were actually my two-year-old son. So immediately, like any parent, what do you do? Your heart starts to panic and race. There are like a thousand people out of this pumpkin patch. There is a highway not too far down that way. And so my mind immediately goes to the worst. I start sprinting for the highway to make sure that he didn't go that way. I guess my thinking is I'm going to start at the highway and work my way back. And as long as he doesn't get by me, everything will be okay. But eventually, after like 15 minutes, we finally found Oliver. And we were, I mean, we were so like emotionally distraught. But at the same time, we were so happy to have had him again. And I really feel like that's, I tell that story because today we're going to be talking about lost things. We're going to be in this series of parables, uh, two this week and then one next week that have to do th with three lost things. So today we're going to be talking about the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin, kind of back to back. We're going to do them together because they have really similar kind of themes and I want to pull a few things out of both of them there. So we're going to spend today focusing on that. And then next week we're going to talk about one of my absolute favorite stories in all of scripture, the story of the lost son. Are you they know it as the story of the prodigal son. And so we're going to be digging into these parables. Now, parables are 
tools that Jesus used to tell stories to make biblical principles and the character of God more easy for us to remember and easier for us to understand. They're not to be taken as true stories. These things didn't really happen, although things I'm sure like them have happened, but Jesus didn't know people that he didn't know this shepherd that he was talking about or the, the woman who lost a coin. That's not the point of it, but it's to help us understand the, the deep truths of God. And really these parables were specifically directed towards guys that were called Pharisees. They were people that basically had my job. They were the ones that would get up there and they'd talk to other church leaders or to churches. They'd get up there once a week. Pastor John was not to say that he's a Pharisee in any way. I myself, I am a recovering Pharisee, but I don't put that on anybody else. But they were people that were the religious teachers of the time. And Jesus saw this major misunderstanding in how they thought about him and his character. And so he uses the parables that we're going to be looking at today to try and pull a little bit of something out, to try and to change their thinking and to ideally today to, to change some of our thinking. I guess my hope today and what I found as I was studying for this message is that some of these Pharisee ways of thinking had kind of crept into my thinking. I have started to think in some ways like a Pharisee, and it was a good reminder as we dig into these parables how God wants to shift our thinking. So as we dig in, my hope for you today is that you would maybe consider some of those ways that maybe your thinking has twisted or gotten away a little bit from God's way of thinking, and maybe consider if we could open ourselves bare to like God renewing our mind and changing the way that we think to think more like him. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read 10 verses today, these two parables. So before we do that, I want to pray. We'll pray together. Uh, we'll read the verses and I'm going to pull out three different ways that I think God may be wanting us to maybe shift our thinking to be more like his thinking. So will you bow your heads? Let's pray together. Father, I, I thank you so much. And Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this place. Right now we're doing this message and this is online. And so even as people are watching this, whenever they are watching, I pray that you would help us to, to be aware of your presence and to not hold anything back from you. We may have a temptation even today to, to be protective of ways that we've decided that we want to think. And I just ask you help us to, to lay those all bare and to be open to anything you would want to teach us to help us shift our way of thinking. We invite you to do that in us today, Holy Spirit. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's read this passage of scripture together. Again, we're in Luke chapter 15, and it's going to be verses 1 through 10. Here it is. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So we see two different groups of people that are kind of here, the, the tax collectors and sinners, and then there's the Pharisees that are hearing this. Verse three, it says, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that 
in the same way, there will be much, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And then in verse 8, here's what it says, moving on to the parable of the lost coin, just three verses, this, this parable here, it says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and then she loses one. Does she light, doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. It's a powerful story, really interesting ones. And I think that they're important for us to, to break down and spend some time in because we maybe there's just some some cultural differences. I don't know. Maybe some of you are shepherds. I, I kind of doubt it. Most of us are not shepherds today. So it might be a little culturally distant for us. But I want to break these stories down. And like I said, I have three different ways that maybe we should consider the way God thinks and see if our thinking can get any closer to the way God thinks about these things. So the first thing I want you to see in this is that God loves when we empathize with others. God loves when we empathize with others. And so this whole encounter, it starts when Jesus, for like the 10th time in the Gospel of Luke, is getting in trouble with the same people for eating and spending time and hanging out with the wrong people. The people that are not savory types is who he's hanging out with. And it describes them as what it says that he's hanging out with tax collectors and with sinners. And I'll give you a little bit of kind of an idea of what we know about these people. Now, tax collectors, um, they weren't like necessarily people that were sinning. There wasn't a law against tax collecting, but they were just people that were making like the worst cultural choice they could possibly be making as people. In those times, you'll remember that Jesus is speaking in the midst of the Roman Empire. Judea is under Roman rule. And these tax collectors are collecting taxes for the Roman oppressors. And basically they would choose someone from every kind of region or area. And that person would be responsible for collecting the taxes from their own people to give to the Roman oppressors that were there. And then they would also try to collect extra money on top of that and anything extra that they could get, they would be able to keep it for themselves. So really, I mean, to give us a modern example, it would be as if Vladimir Putin's whole war thing in Ukraine that's happening, that goes really south from here. And after he takes over Ukraine and takes over Europe, he takes over all of the United States and we are under Russian rule. Everybody is commanded, we're gonna start speaking Russian now. And someone from our from this church here, from our group of people, they decide that I am going to be the one that does all the tax collecting and gives all of our money to our Russian oppressors and enforces those kinds of rules. And they're requiring me to get 100 bucks a person every week from everybody. I'm going to try and get 150 so I could take a little bit extra. That's what a tax collector is. Someone that was rightly not very popular in those times there. So we have Jesus hanging out with them and then also with what they just says is sinners. I guess just general sinners is who we're talking about in this case. We don't really know exactly what this means, but it's pretty clear from the way that it's written that he's hanging out with people that could be seen as 
as sinners. It wasn't that people knew their character or what they were doing, but they were obvious. So think uh, people that look the part. So people that may have been drunk, uh, people that may have been uh, like maybe homeless or something. Not that it's a sin to be homeless, but people that were in that book, they didn't work. Uh, people that were uh, maybe prostitutes were among these people there. So these are the kinds of people that Jesus is spending time with. And the Pharisees in that time, they thought that to be a godly person meant to create a wall of separation, to wall themselves off from these kinds of people. And the more distance they could put between themselves and these kinds of people, the holier they would be seen as. And this is the way that they thought. And Jesus was coming against this, and he was really doing the ultimate act of putting himself and really forcing people to to consider these people, to consider and maybe even empathize with people. And actually, he does like the ultimate act of making the Pharisees empathize with these people, to put themselves in the shoes of these people, because they would never have done that if Jesus didn't make them do it. And the way that he does that is he does it by the characters he chooses for these two parables. So you remember the first one, we read that's the parable of the lost sheep, and the main, the protagonist of the story is the shepherd. And a shepherd wasn't a sinful job by any means, but it was something that was definitely thought of as lower than or less than. In today's standards, it would be like a, a migrant worker would be like what the shepherd is. It's someone he's talking, he's asking the Pharisees, hey, I know you guys are all educated and you went to lots of school. You remembered the entire uh, Torah and the Bible when you were little kids and you guys are super smart. But imagine for a second, if you were a dirty, illiterate, poor person who worked out in the fields with animals all the time. Imagine if you were that. Put yourself in that person's shoes. And that's the perspective from which Jesus wants to tell this particular story. He wants to make sure that these people see themselves in that. And then the second one, it's even more like it. I want you to kind of picture this. Jesus could have chose anybody in this parable of the lost coin. He could have made it about a man or another or a Pharisee, or it could have been a Roman person or a soldier or anything but he specifically chose the person that he chose. He chose it to be, imagine yourself to be a woman who lost a coin. A little thing that maybe we miss in our culture about Pharisees, they would say a prayer every single morning. That's a good thing, right? They would, they would kind of, it's a good thing to be praying every morning. I encourage everybody, start your day off with talking to the Lord, have a conversation with him, uh, talk to him and engage with the Lord every single day. But there was something about the Pharisees prayer is that every single day they would pray the same prayer. This is what a Pharisee did. He would start his day by saying, thank you, God, that I am not a Gentile. Thank you, God, that I am not a slave. And most of all, thank you, God, that I am not a woman. You see, for the Pharisee to imagine themselves to be a woman was to imagine themselves to be in a much lower station. That was the culture of the time. And he's intentionally choosing the least of these for these parables for added effect so that we really are able to put ourselves into these people's shoes and to really understand what he's talking about this with here. And I think that's very intentional. Jesus is challenging the Pharisees to empathize. And I think really the same thing needs to be done on our side. If we're going to be missionaries, I think that's what we're all called to be. I hope that you understand what I say when I, when I say that. Like, 
as people that are Christ followers, the highlight of our week should not be when we gather together in church. That's a good part of our week, but the really the culmination is when we go out into the world and live out the things that we're talking about here in this conversation here today. And what I have learned is that if I cannot empathize or if I can't put myself in the shoes of the people that I'm trying to reach, it can be really hard for me to be an effective missionary. I believe that the, the world and the church would be better if we, if we took this kind of stuff seriously from Jesus. We need more empathy. If you're called to be a missionary, which all of us as Christ followers are, are called to, we, are, we need to move away from this kind of thinking of the Pharisees is I won't, even, I won't even share a meal or get close to people that are different from me because I want to keep a separation and move to the approach of Jesus where I am welcoming and I'm not even just welcoming these people that are different from me. I want people to imagine and my stories will be full of people that are different from me. Here's the truth is that for every one of us, it is easier for us to relate to and have relationship with people the more similar that they are to us. Like it's easier to talk to someone that went to the same school as you. That's why the first question with every Hawaiian that you meet is, hey, what school you went, right? That's what you say when you first meet someone, because then we'll have something in common and we'll have relationship there in that place. And it goes for everything. It goes for the places that we grew up. Uh, it goes for the languages that we speak. It goes for the interests that we have. And frankly, it even goes to the, to the color of our skin and sometimes that people that are of certain colors, they oftentimes will have a hard time relating to people that maybe have a different cultural experience because they didn't grow up in the same way. And we use our skin color to kind of judge some of those things. I don't know what it is. And, and I, I want you to hear me in this is that if we want to be missionaries that are effective at reaching people, we need to be willing to share our our lives and empathize with people that are different from us. That's what Jesus is trying to get us get across to us here is that we need to be open to that kind of thinking. So first thing is again, God loves when we empathize with others. Second thing is God loves to pursue sinners. God loves to pursue sinners. And I don't say that in a, you know, us versus them, good church people and sinner people. I just mean sinners in general, myself, you, all of us included. The only difference is what we've done with the message of Jesus here. But I want you to, to, to notice God's absolute love in these parables to pursue sinners. And I where I see this is, is what he does with the way that he he goes after the lost sheep in this first story and the way that he brings the sheep back. Take a look at it again. I think it's in, uh, it's in verse five. It says, when he finds it, the sheep, he joyfully, so with great joy, he puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Okay, so if I were a shepherd, again, I know very little about shepherding and the shepherding culture, but if I were a shepherd, I would think if one of my sheep wandered off and I had to leave the 99 for an entire day to pursue this one lost sheep, 
I think my response, and maybe the natural shepherd's response, would be to be pretty upset with that one sheep. You'd go over it, and we know that shepherd's rods from uh, Psalm 23, that they're there for they're there for uh, discipline sometimes. So he'd probably, I would think he'd discipline the sheep. And I don't know, I'd, I would think he'd grab it by the scruff of its neck and drag that sheep back to its farm. But it doesn't say that he does that. It says instead that he picks it up and doesn't just carry it, but puts it on his shoulders. Now, sheep can walk. Like It's not like the sheep was, was unable to move or walk, but he actually picks this up and joyfully carries it back. I think that probably would have stood out to somebody who was a shepherd at that time as something that was really something to, to take notice of in this year. Because I think it's a great picture of the way God is such a good father to us and that he loves to pursue us even when we're far away and he's willing to, to walk us right back to him and joyfully receive us back. I think back to a time when a few years ago I was pastoring a church uh, on the mainland in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, and I remember very clearly this one afternoon, it was the, the middle of summer and we were at the community pool. Uh, community pools in Wisconsin, they're open for like usually about nine days of the year because that's how long summer is there. Now it's, it's closer to about three months. It's like June 1st until the first day of September, Memorial Day to Labor Day. That's the entire pool season uh, in Wisconsin there. So if you're gonna swim, you're gonna get it in in those months there. Uh, and I remember we, we showed up at the pool as a family. It was an afternoon, pretty hot day uh, for Wisconsin standards. And we get out there and in every community pool on the mainland, they, and they have these here uh, in the few community pools that we have, they have lifeguards, but then there's some kind of a rule that says lifeguards have to take a break every 50 minutes for 10 minutes. So every community pool, you uh, the lifeguard would blow the whistle at like 50 minutes on the hour, and then you would take a break for 10 minutes. And it, like clockwork, we would always get to the pool every single time, right at like 11.50 or 1.50, right when the break starts. So we have to get there, super hot, ready to get in, and then just have to stare and wait uh, to be able for them to blow the whistle to get back in. And so that's like the longest 10 minutes for every kid too, right? So you're waiting there for the lifeguard to blow the whistle again so you can jump back into the pool. And I remember this one time, and it was probably July, uh, my daughter, Ruby, she was about 12 years old. Uh, and I remember that we got there to the pool. It was right at that time when the break was. And so we decided we had to wait there. We're already in our swimsuits and we're all ready to jump in and we're sitting there and waiting. And then after what seemed like an eternity, the lifeguard puts the whistle to his mouth, blows it, and everybody sprints back into the pool. Ruby is sitting on this kind of column or pillar and she's excited, 12 year old, ready to get in the pool, jumps off and boom. She lands right on this spigot that was there on the back of her leg. Uh, and it was one of those ones, not like a regular hose uh, bib or hose spigot, but it had like a key that you had to turn it on. So it had kind of a sharp edge. And this thing dug in deep to the back of her leg. Oh, and it was, uh, it was pandemonium there. So in my family, I don't know how it is in yours, my wife and I have very different reactions when our kids go through some kind of an injury or something like that. My wife, she feels like the best approach is to be to try and overwhelm my son or daughter's uh, cries with her own screams. That way they feel like they have a companion or something and screaming. So she's hysterically uh, yelling and really terrified. I'm the exact opposite. I'm the kind of person to a detriment, to a fault where I, I minimize it and say, oh, it's just a, a little 
scrape. And meanwhile, she has blood all the way down her ankle and down her leg. She's bleeding everywhere there. And eventually I realize that I have to take her up and have a conversation with the, the head lifeguard, the health uh, area there. They have people there ready to help people. And I started to suspect when I saw that big flap of skin kind of open up back there that it might be more serious than what they could handle there at the community pool. And so what I did is similar to what the shepherd in the story did. Ruby was 12, so size of a sheep, if you will. Uh, so I picked her up in my arms and kind of carried her like a little like a little baby, like a baby, and I carried her like this all the way up. She couldn't walk. She took a couple steps. It wouldn't work. So I, I had to carry her up there, and we got the diagnosis. They said, you have to go to the hospital. Now, here's what, here's what I think. Like, my thought is that with the sheep, I can totally see, you know, being angry. But could you imagine with, with my daughter, who was in her time of need, who was really hurt, if I thought about God the same way that some of us think God thinks about us. It, some of us think that God, when, when, he, when we mess up, that he becomes angry with us and he starts to demand penance or for us to do good things before he's willing to do anything for us, to make up for our errors, right? Could you imagine if I looked at Ruby bleeding, blood running down her leg? I said, oh, Ruby, Boy, you've really, you've really hurt yourself here. And I, I want you to know I love you and I'm going to help you. However, before I'm willing to do that, we have to talk about a few things. First, I, I do need the van to be cleaned up and I'd like it to be vacuumed and washed. And then I've noticed that like there's been a few extra dishes. I, I'd like you to do dishes twice a week for the next week. And if you're willing to agree to all of that, in that case, I will pick you up and I will carry you over and get you the care that you need. You know, it's going to cost me a lot of money for the stitches and all that stuff. So it's only right that you at least do right by me and do something for me. And then I will do that. No father would do that. That's a terrible father. No father could bring himself to do something so terrible. And yet we sometimes think of God in that exact same way. We think that, boy, I've really... Uh, I really have, uh, I've messed up in this case here. And, oh man, I, I probably ought to, uh, I, I probably ought to wait before I go to God and do all my thing. I probably ought to make him happy and make up for all my mistakes. And then I should go to God and make right with him at that point. Guys, that is so foolish. And that is a warped way of thinking. That's Pharisee thinking that we're talking about. But Jesus, he loves to pursue sinners. He loves when we're in our time of need, when we're hurting, there's nothing more that he loves to do than to pursue us and to have relationship with us and to welcome us. That's what the father loves to do because he is a good father, just like a father here on earth would never let their child suffer in that kind of pain or make them earn his care. God doesn't do that with us either. We need to be careful of those kinds of things because, and remember that in this is that it's not that Ruby had to do the work to come back into my good graces or to get the care that she needed. It was God, it was me that did the pursuing. I was the one that carried her. And in the same way, it's God that does the pursuing of us. We don't need to earn his favor. So that's the second thing is that we need to remember that God loves to pursue sinners. Number three, the third thing, and maybe that our, our thinking needs a little tweak in is that God loves it. He doesn't hate it, but he loves it when sinners repent. He loves it when sinners repent. And, and I want you to notice 
the passage. What stands out, stands out to me so much in this is how odd the response is after the, the sheep is found and the coin is found. Let's look at it again. I want you to see this. You'll notice that in verse six of uh, chapter 15, it says, and he goes home. And what does he do after he found the sheep? He carries it home and it says, he calls all of his friends and neighbors together. And he says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. So he, he calls them all. So it probably, they didn't have phones at the time. So I imagine that means that he, he goes and he knocks on all of their doors. He say, we're all getting together. I, I, I found a, a lost sheep uh, and we're going we're gonna to get together and kind of rejoice and celebrate, have a little party. My house, lost sheep party. That's what, and the same thing for the second one. In the second story, it says in verse nine, and when she finds it, she calls all of her friends and neighbors. So goes, knocks, hey, uh, come on over, come together and says, hey, rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. So I, I don't really know. A sheep is very valuable, I'm sure. A coin in this case, uh, also like it's it's a, a pretty valuable coin. It's like worth a day's wages. This is a, a silver coin is what it's specified as. And so it's about a day's wages for one laborer. So I don't know, it, call it like a hundred dollars by today's standard uh, standards. It's a big deal. Like it's, it's, a, it's a good amount of money. We're not talking about a year's pay, but a hundred bucks, I don't know, maybe inflation makes it 150 or $200, whatever it would be. It's a, it's a chunk of money that matters but I don't know that it matters enough for me to throw a party, right? And like the other one, I, I don't know anything about shepherding again, personally. Uh, as a kid, I grew up cleaning pools and, you know, sheep are like the, the, the tools that they use and they, well, they had tools and they had sheep as part of their property that helps them. It's something that would cost them a lot if he lost a sheep. So I don't, I imagine like if I went to a pool that I was cleaning uh, and I forgot my pole there or I forgot my leaf net there uh, and it made a big mess and I had to come back later and get it, it would be weird, I think, just me, if I called all of my friends that had nothing to do with shepherding or pool cleaning or anything like that and said, hey, guys, great news. I want everybody to come over. Um, yeah, everybody's coming. We're all doing a big thing. So I left my pool net over at uh, at Joe's house and I thought I lost it. And then I went back and it was there. It, it was, I was so blown away. So anyway, obviously we're having a huge blowout party. It's gonna be awesome. We're gonna rejoice. I'm gonna get a few Costco pizzas. It's gonna be great. We're gonna have a really good time together. Yep, so, or same thing with the coin. Hey, um, hey guys, I, I wanted to let you know something really cool. I had lost $100. Um, I had misplaced it. Um, I thought it was gone and it was, I had lost it for like five hours and I was looking everywhere for it. Turns out it was in my coat pocket. I pulled it out and I found it. I was so thrilled. So obviously huge bash at my place tonight. It's a hundred dollar found party. We're just going to celebrate. Obviously you guys understand it's a really big deal. I don't know. That strikes me as a little bit odd, right? It's supposed to stand out to us because I don't think that these are really things that people always would have done in those times. To, they wouldn't have called together the whole neighborhood. But Jesus is making a very specific point. He's pointing this out because he's trying to say that this is really unique, that, that God, when one sinner, when one person turns in repents, he throws an absolute party. He celebrates this kind of thing. And I want you to notice, a lot of times people misunderstand this. We sometimes will quote this as saying, the angels have a party or the angels celebrate when one sinner repents. But that's not what it says, right? It says, what does it say? Um, 
in in the in verse 10 it says in the same way i tell you there is rejoicing where in the presence of the angels of god over one sinner who repents who is in the presence of the angels of god god himself everybody in heaven the angels included but god the father himself rejoices when one person repents but i don't often think about god that way Sometimes when I think about God, I mistake him for my character. And I think of him as, as when, I, when I mess up with somebody else, if I hurt somebody's feelings, or maybe I, I didn't even mean to, but I said something offensive. You ever done that before? You said something that you didn't mean to hurt someone's feelings, but they really, they really got hurt by it. And you see what you did wrong and you just feel bad. Is your immediate inclination to think, well, that person probably wants to spend some more time with me. I bet that person would love to hear from me and maybe go hang out and see a movie or something like that. No, you, you probably try, if you're like me, to, to like give them some distance. Let's, let's maybe give them some time to, to maybe recover from that. And let's hope that, you know, they may be angry at me for a little while. Let's give them a few weeks of just kind of cooling off or maybe even a few months or maybe a few years of, of cooling off period. And then maybe at some point we can, we can be better. I, I think a lot of us, because we feel that way, we think that God thinks that way about us too. We think that when we mess up, maybe it's something that we've done many times. Maybe we, you know, said something we shouldn't have, or we yelled at our spouse the way we shouldn't have, or our kids, or we looked at something online that we shouldn't have, or we spent too much time with a person and too intimate with a person that we shouldn't have been, and we uh, maybe we used some kind of a substance or drank more than we should have, or whatever it would be. I don't, I don't try to, to label everything here, but sometimes I think our temptation is to think of God the way we think of ourselves and how we would respond. We think God is upset with us and the best course of action is to give him some space that God will probably cool down his wrath towards me if I just give him a little bit of time or here's maybe something that maybe I'm guilty of maybe you are too is we kind of think man I really messed up I I yelled again at my kids or yelled again at my wife or I looked at that thing I shouldn't have or whatever it would be we think you know what I God's probably really angry with me so what I'm going to do is I'm going to prove that if I work really hard and I don't do it for, I won't do it for one month. I won't do that thing again for one month. And then once I've had a track record of not doing that thing for one month, then I'm going to go to God and then I'm going to say, okay, look, God, I've done it for one month. I haven't done that thing I was supposed to do. Uh, and so I would like it if you would consider taking me back now. That is the opposite of how God thinks about us. I want you to really understand that. God rejoices the moment a sinner decides to repent and turn towards him. Have you yelled at your wife? The moment you turn your eyes back towards the Lord, he rejoices and the angels throw a party and say, this is fantastic. He's thrilled by that. Maybe our thinking has become a little bit Pharisee in that way. I know mine has. I speak for myself is that sometimes I... I forget that God is ready and willing to embrace me and carry me back over his shoulders and, and celebrate me again and, and, and have a party when I turn my eyes back towards him. You see in these stories, the, the coin and the sheep, these are the, the, 
sheep somewhat, but the coin is an inanimate object. It doesn't do anything, right? The coin is just there. It's not trying to get back to its owner. The sheep is actively working against getting back to its owner. But God is the one that does the pursuing. God is the one that loves it when we turn our eyes towards him. And so like with every parable, our goal in this is to find ourselves in this story. Where do we fit into this? Well, I think there's two primary ways. I think maybe you really identify with the sheep in this story. That you've been wandering uh, and on your own way and there is this wall that you feel of separation between you and the Lord. I want you to know that per scripture, what Jesus would say is that that wall, that sin absolutely has the power to separate us from God, but it can be removed in an instant to make the wall all but imaginary God would love and rejoices and desperately wants to pursue you, to carry you back and to welcome you into his arms and to have a celebration because you were lost and you are now found. I think you need to know that is that God is not sitting there waiting to be angry with you. Maybe you had a father that was that way with you. God is not like your earthly father. He is ready and willing to receive you back into his good grace. So maybe that's you today. Maybe you need to embrace that aspect of God's character, that he loves to pursue sinners and wants to welcome you back because he loves it when sinners repent. Or maybe, and I think a lot of us, I know myself, I am often, that first part certainly applies to me, but the second part, I see myself this way all the time is that I am a recovering Pharisee and sometimes I struggle with empathy, especially when people have put themselves in the position themselves. Right? That's just me. I'm being totally honest with you in that. But maybe I need to do a switch in my thinking, and maybe you do too, to switch in your thinking to be less like a Pharisee and remember that Jesus himself loved to empathize, to be with, and to help other people put themselves in the shoes of people that are different from them. If we're called to be Christ followers, we're called to be missionaries, and you're a crummy missionary if you cannot relate and put yourself in the shoes of people that are there with you. So I want you to think about those two things. Where are you today? Which which one of those? Do you relate more to the to the person that's that's doing the, the Pharisees of this story here? Or do you relate more to that to that sheep? Or do you need to be more like the character of the shepherd or the character of the woman in this story? Do you need to be more like Jesus in that way? I leave you with that question today and let's, let's pray to that end. Father, I thank you so much that you are good and that you pursue us even when we are very far away. That we don't have to do anything to receive your pursuit. That you, you come after us not because of who we are, but because of who you are. May we never forget that truth, God. And may we never, ever forget that you rejoice and celebrate when we turn our eyes off of ourselves and turn our eyes back towards you, God. Thank you that you're willing to welcome us with open arms. And Father, I, I pray for each one of us that struggles with that idea of, of putting ourselves into the, into the shoes of other people, to empathize with others. Would you give us the courage to be able to say yes when we're prompted by your Holy Spirit to, to take those steps to grow closer to people that are different from us? I ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I thank you guys so much for letting me share with you today. God bless you and have a great week.